Welcome to our Spiritual Resilience Podcast with Reverend Rich Taffel, a transformative leader and executive coach in areas of public policy, social change, and spiritual entrepreneurship. We understand that today's life and social challenges require a more holistic approach, including spiritual tools, thoughtful dialogue, and of course, community building. Join us in the conversation. So we're going to have a dialogue with Kathy and myself. I'm going to interview her a little bit here. Um, but I wanted to, one, uh, acknowledge an anniversary, a solemn anniversary. It was a year ago, um, yesterday. This just struck me. February 6th, the 57-year-old Patricia Dowd of San Jose, California, died suddenly after being ill for several days. She was the nation's first known victim of coronavirus. And now more than... I think it's 460,000 have died from the coronavirus. And that's that's more than Americans that died in World War II, to kind of put it in a perspective. It's, a, it's We've lost a lot of people. So uh, not to be, a, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I think uh, it's important for us to deal with the reality of grief. Um, and it's something that we all face. And I would say that during this pandemic, we're experiencing grief at a not just a community level but at a state level at a national level but at a global level i, I just can't think of a time when everybody has been feeling a, a sense of grief around the globe in at the same time and um and as the virus spikes so has grief and even if you haven't um, personally experienced loss you certainly know people who have and we can all kind of feel the grief and loss that's going on with others um just I was struck last week uh, by a woman uh, that I was talking to and she said she had not been touched since last March. And uh, she was a extrovert, she said. Um, and she said, I'm an extrovert, I live alone, I haven't been touched. Uh, this is, the grief within me is really overwhelming. And um, the lockdown has really uh, created such, such a hardship for so many people. I think also of young people missing out on the school life they imagined, the, the senior year or their years of college all the uh, projections into that and it's you know they've got to stay in their dorm room and or uh or worse so it's just a very tough at all levels it's not just something for the old it's the young um and um and then people worry about their jobs and all that so there's just this sense of grief and i thought uh when dr peck uh malcolm peck said to me a while back uh you know he was uh he was helping some folks through grief. He himself lost his wife two years ago. We all remember Ida and the memorial service we did at the church. And, um, and he said, this would be a great topic to explore on the, you know, what's the spiritual tools, what's the spiritual lessons um, that you could have in that. And that's, as I mentioned, I immediately thought of, of Kathy Spees um, because what really struck me about Kathy is she had been working for years and she'll, she can describe this if I don't get it right, but in a, a community for people who are learning disabled in California. And she was the hospice and then uh, hospice chaplain rather. And then at one point they, they really, they shut the whole thing down. And the state said, we're going to find alternatives for everybody. 
So there's this incredible grief within the community as a, as a group, they'd been there for, for decades. Um, and she had to deal with all that grief and all that counseling, not just one-on-one, -on -one, but with a group of people. And I thought that's a really unique challenge and close to, closer to what we're dealing with right now as we're trying to help each other. She also made me aware of a concept I had never heard of before, but it makes perfect sense. And I'll ask her to explain it in greater detail, but that's anticipatory grief. That's grieving for something that has not yet happened, but you can feel it coming. And boy, that opened my eyes. Last year, Kathy and I were involved with helping a church community that had to close its doors. And she really came in as the chaplain. This group had high hopes that a new pastor would come, that everything was just around the corner. This is all going to change. It was just one more thing, and uh, that wasn't going to happen. And what she diagnosed so effectively was that they were in grief and anticipatory grief about what was happening because the church was a, a member of the family. It was a very important space. And so she counseled people uh, through that and shared an essay that she wrote, which I'll put into next week's newsletter about dealing with anticipatory grief. So I want to welcome Kathy Spees to Church in the Holy City's service. We're so grateful to have you and your expertise. And it's good to you. And we are also good friends. And the other thing I didn't say about Kathy is she's got a wicked sense of humor, which I love, of course. So we have a good time going back and forth um, with our, our bizarre humor. So that's the other great thing about Kathy. Uh, so Kathy, if you uh, unmute. Okay. And if you, um, what did I, in that introduction, would you say, what did I get, uh, what did I miss? You didn't miss anything. You didn't get it wrong. I was uh, I was a hospice chaplain for about ten years, and then I then I was the Protestant chaplain at a, a state institution for profoundly disabled adults that had been in existence for about 125 years. So in the 1880s, a couple of women with disabled children founded the School for the Care and Training of Feeble-Minded Children. And the institution itself went through all of our history of how we viewed and responded to disability. So there were people there who had a cleft palate or who were deaf or who you know, were just quote unquote defective in some way. There were decades of medical interventions that are really part of a horror story in dealing with disabled people. Um, and along about the 70s and 80s, um, people were warehoused, people were just put away. I know, I know um, when I was born in the 1950s, if, if your child was not quote unquote normal, the advice that doctors gave was just put them away and forget about them. Friend, my, my mother's um, college roommate had a son who was deaf and the doctor said, can't ever have a decent life. Just put, throw him out in the state institution, forget you ever had him. No, no way, they didn't do that. He's now developed software at Gallaudet. He's married, he has a couple of kids. You know, he's, he, he's just, he was just deaf. No, that was... So um, along about the 70s and 80s, people began to realize that these people who were often nonverbal, non-communicative, um, very strange incarnations were human beings with a potential to live a life. And so, you know, that that sort of whole person movement began to grow. So this was really a beloved community. People that I worked with there had worked there their whole lives. 
the woman who was the director had her mother made her her mother worked there and made her be a volunteer when she was in high school so she had been part of that community people took care of people that their parents had taken care of so it, it was a beloved community it was a self-sufficient town there were about four thousand people who lived there had its own zip code it had a bank a post office stores churches schools i mean it was a town and it closed. The state said, we're not fu funding this anymore. So that, that was a tremendous shared grief for this community. And it, and it helped me understand, helped me expand my understanding of grief. It's, there's anticipatory grief also is as a part of um, what people call ambiguous grief. I mean, we think of grief as, you know, someone lost a loved one, someone's mother died. Oh, I'm so sorry. But there are so many dimensions of grief around so much that we go through, a, lo a loss of identity, a loss of hope, a loss of certainty, a loss of principles, a loss of the grieving our image of America that has changed in, in recent years. Um, grief can even be um, a, a feature of good things. You know, you get married, you have a family. It's what you're grieving the, the loss of who you were before that. Your children grow up and go off to college or get good jobs or, you know, become musicians or, you know, do things that they love. But, but you've lost, you know, that baby that you had because that person is now grown up and, you know, isn't a baby anymore. There's, there's grief even involved in, in things that are good. You know, move, um, a new job. You know, any large change involves some grief. Um, so I really have expanded my understanding of grief and, you know, watching what we're going through with the pandemic, grieving a loss of certainty. Yeah, grieving, you know, the rites of passage of people that we've known, grieving, we don't even know what because we, because as this unfolds, we don't even know how it's going to continue to affect us. So, you know, grieving the ability to, to plan. Um, so that's, that's, um, yeah, I think that's, I, I just, I understand grief in a much larger context now than just, oh, someone has, lost a loved one. And I'm much more aware and sensitive as I'm working with people or, or meeting people to, you know, hearing their stories to think, you know, this person must, must have had a lot of grief. Yeah, hearing what you're saying, if I'm getting it right, we've kind of thought of grief as something that surrounds death, um, generally losing someone to death, a great, great loss. And I think what if I understand what you're saying is grief is part of being human because we are constantly losing, mm -hmm. um, we're always losing something. It could be our youth, um, it could be our health as we get older, but it could be our career. And eventually we're gonna lose, all of us uh, will lose our physical existence on this sphere and our spirit will continue. So there's all these various losses. So it would, based on what you're saying, dealing with grief is dealing with being a human. Mm -hmm. It is, it is. and I. There's no way around it. No way around it. How does it, uh, I, it almost sounds like uh, 
another another word in, in the Christian background and also in the Buddhist background is that life is suffering, particularly like in Roman Catholicism. How do you see that life is suffering and as part of this and, and loss? Is that the same thing? Well, culturally, I think we're conditioned to be positive, to look on the bright side, to move ahead, to have a strategy, have a plan. You know, we're, um, we're conditioned to be self-sufficient and resourceful. And those are kind of cultural um, aspects of, of how we grieve. Um, in, in, some, in some cultures, um, people wear black or they wear white or there's rituals that they go through for a year. The, the Jewish tra tradition is very um, proscribed about, you know, for the first week after a loved one dies, you just sit on the floor and you don't do anything. You cover the mirrors over so that you don't look at yourself. You, other people take care of everything and you just sit on the ground. And then after a week, you get up. And there, there are rituals throughout the, the grieving process, both for the community or surrounding a person and for the person. And there's, it's, you know, I think, I think we as Christians tend to focus on the um, promise of heaven and the, you know, well, they're in, they're in a better place and this is not really our life. Our spiritual life is our true life. So if somebody dies, big deal. Um, it's all part of God's plan. There's, you know, there, there's a lot that we say that's not helpful. Um, and, and we, you know, we, I think we say those things that aren't helpful. They're in a better place. Um, you know, there's a reason for everything. God just needed, must have needed another angel. Um, there's so many, so many unhelpful things. We say that because, because we're afraid of it. We don't, because we feel helpless and we don't want to feel helpless. We want to make this person feel better. We want to fix their grief. We want to be resourceful. We want to be a good friend. We want to be helpful. And it, it's too difficult to just dwell in that suffering. I think the Buddhist adage is something up to, to the effect that pain is, Pain is part of life, but suffering is optional. Hmm. Interesting. Well, what you're saying, I would say in, in my life, even as a pastor, and I would say as a pastor, an American, a Protestant, a Swedenborgian, I think what we're guilty of at some level is I think I'm a problem solver. Mm -hmm. And I want to make, like you're saying, I want to make people feel better. So I, I have definitely talked about Swedenborg's life after death and what uh, what life after death is like. And I think that's great. I actually think it's a huge blessing that our, our denomination, our faith, our tradition has. It helps me a lot. And I know it's helped people. But I think you're making a more profound point, Kathy, which is when people are grieving, they need to grieve. And okay, you just have to be, you need to be there with them as opposed to being the American problem you know, like we're, we're, well, let's solve this problem. Let's get you through it as zip, zippity doo dah. And I'm guessing from your experience working with large groups and, and, and in the hospital, what's the danger of moving through grief very quickly, like sh shunting it off and pretending like well, they did? This is the person's experience. You know, here I am grieving the loss of a child, and here you are telling me, oh, it's all part of God's plan. And it's like, I'm supposed to worship that God that had the plan to take my child. Mm. Um, it, it totally dismisses the, the grieving person's experience. Um, 
it makes you feel guilty. It's like, you know, I don't want, I don't want my husband in a better place. I want him here with me at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. I don't want him in heaven. And then, you know, it, is there something wrong with my faith that it, I mean, it really, it really does kind of marginalize the grieving person. And it puts this responsibility, well, here I am grieving and I'm making you feel bad because you can't make me feel better. And I'm responsible, you know, that I'm responsible for your, for your feelings. Um, you know, we, we, we just grieve. I remember a story a friend told she'd lost her mother and it was just very devastating and she was having a really hard time with it. And she did, she hated being alone because it was just all that quiet and darkness and her mother wasn't there and she was scared and grieving and she hated being alone but when other people were with her they were always trying to cheer her up or get her to do things or stay busy or she it couldn't be around other people she said the most comforting presence was a person who came over to her house and just sat in the other room and she said I knew she was there she was knitting or reading or you know what have you so I knew she was there and it felt close to me to have her with me but she wasn't trying to to fix me yeah i think uh kathy that may be one of the most uh profound teachings for us today that we want to take away from this because again we want to fix it we want to make it right we want to move through it quickly we want to be optimistic and happy everything's okay let's not dwell and uh, what that person needs most of all is just presence it's not smart words. It's not even Bible verses. It's not, it could be prayer, but it could just be presence and it could be presence in the other room. But it's like, I know you're here, but it's not really about me. If you need me, let me know what you need, but just being present with someone. And I think that's such a great bit of advice. And particularly for ministers who want to uh, come up with a quick three steps or four things or whatever. And that's uh, a radically thoughtful way to deal with is just be present with each other. Some of the best teaching I ever received. When you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit, keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. When you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit, just keep, just don't say anything. And, you know, grief, I, I mean, as we see in the Psalms, you know, the one Psalm that we read today, but there are so many Psalms that my bones are poured out like wax. I mean, we always... We love the happy ones. We love the cup running over and goodness following, goodness and mercy following us all the days of our lives. But we don't read the ones about the bones pouring out like wax and you know being a hideous object to my friends. And yeah, there was one reason I wanted to pick that psalm because it's unresolved. It's yeah. unresolved. And uh, also the scripture text this week is from from Jesus with Lazarus, and it's the famous shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. I mean, Jesus grieved. It, it's, that's, and, and whatever Jesus is doing is a teaching to us to, you know, this is the natural state of thing. It is okay. My, now in, I'll say in my life, I've tended to want to uh, skate over grief, uh, if I can, on that keep it positive thing. Um, but I've also learned, I think, as I've gotten older, that it's good to go deep into grief. And actually going deeper in the immediate period of it, uh, in my experience, actually make, gets me through it faster even. Like I, but I just need to go deep for a period. And that might be mean checking out or it might mean crying or deeply or, or um, what's your experience? Is it different for everybody? 
Well, you know, grief is, is a messy process and it's not linear and it doesn't progress like a physical injury. You know, someone has surgery and they come out of surgery and, the, you know, the sutures are raw and they, you know, they begin to heal and they feel a little better every day. Grief is like whack-a-mole. You know, you're, you're, you handle big things, but small things um, upend you, you know, you, um, you never, you never know when the, you know, the waves are going to come. I mean, people say the best way out is through, but there's, you know, there is no, you know, five steps to de dealing with grief. And if you do this, it's just not going to be painful when, when you lose someone or, or something, or, you know, are, are coping with fear. I mean, grief, grief is, grief is almost not an emotion in itself. It's a constellation of emotions. Grief is a, um, an, an amalgam of, of fear, of sadness, of regret, of uh, anger, of, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of physical energy. You know, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. One of the things I went through for the, I guess it was three years that since when they announced the closure of the facility to when the, you know, the, the door finally locked, when the, when the last door finally closed, um, people were exhausted and they were sick a lot and they just, they were spacey and irritable. I mean, the other thing about grief is that it, one grief, a grief that you experience brings up all your other griefs. So that's, for me, part of the ambiguous grief of getting older is that, you know, when I, when I lose someone in my life, I think of all the other people and cats that I've lost, you know, and dogs and my youth and that ring that I lost once. And I mean, you, you know, it brings up, it brings up lots of other griefs. And if people haven't kind of resolved grief, if they haven't been, you know, if, if they have just skated over it and I, well, I want to, I don't want anybody to see me cry. I, I, I want everybody to see me be strong. I'm just going to, you know, not let that, um, that sort of denial. And, and that's a healthy thing to do. That denial is a very healthy way to cope, but it's, it can't be the only co coping mechanism. And if, if you don't, as you said, you know, enter into it and, you know, dive through the waves of it, um, it comes back to bite you later when there's another grief and you haven't, you haven't resolved. So it's like to me, allowing yourself in the moment of grief, just to embrace it, go with it. Yeah. That's how to run through it. I love your um, example of whack-a-mole and how they're all connected. Um, yeah. Whack-a-mole. Uh, in my own life, my mom passed away a couple of years ago. And then, of course, it was Alzheimer's. So there was anticipatory grief, which I want to talk about, like you're anticipating it. But um, then I found earmuffs that I had taken off of her the Thanksgiving before, you know, like a year later. And that just made me, you know, break down. And, and you know, so completely, you know, but it was a, it was a remnant of something um, from that period before where I probably didn't get to mourn because I had to do the service. Yeah. Uh, it's still there and it just why am i getting so emotional looking at you know earmuffs doesn't make any sense but it was like you're saying it was a it was it was a, it can come up at any time um i do want to get your i want to get your you really have pioneered i think for me at least this concept of anticipatory grief and and i remember you and i were working with a group that was closing a church 
and there was all kinds of weird energy in the group and and you just diagnosed it and said this is you're anticipating the law a loss that's not happened what would you describe as anticipatory grief and how do we how, how can we be aware of it in our own lives well it's certainly something i learned a lot about as a hospice chaplain seeing people um attending you know caring for and and you went through it with with your mom you know just that you know that the you know the end is coming you know this is a terminal condition there's nothing you can do to stop it or reverse it and there are all these little losses along the way so you know anticipatory grief is most often used to to describe the the grief that people go through when they when a loved one is dying of dementia or um you know um MS or ALS or, you know, some pro protracted de degenerative de disease where it's just a sort of step down every day. There's all these little losses along the way. It's often not recognized because it's like, well, no, he, you know, he's, he's not dead yet. So you don't have any grief. At least he's still alive. Yeah, but he's in a nursing home. And how much longer is he going to recognize me? And, you know, now he can't eat. We've got that loss of not being able to eat together now. And, you know, there are all these, you know, just a whole lot of little losses along the way. Um, and each one of those has their, you know, you grieve the loss of not being able to, to walk with somebody anymore. You know, then the loss of not being able to take them out in the car anymore. I mean, there's, there's a lot of little losses along the way. And it's often not recognized because, well, the person's still alive. So, there's no grief. There's not a ritual for it. There's not a an acknowledgement of it. There's not a um, sort of theology of, of, about it. So you're kind of in this limbo where you've you know you've got this thing that you know is coming down the pike, but it's unpredictable. It doesn't have a timetable. Um, it you know you, you we we all we as as human beings, and then I think it's particularly as striving Americans, we have a hard time being out of control. Um, that's just the worst. If you, you know, if you just, you have no control over anything, that's incredibly stressful. And so an anticipatory grief is something that, you know, hospice counselors are um, alert to working with fa families to help them process what, what they're going through as they're going through it and not wait till the person has died. And so I certainly saw that a lot with, you know, seeing that this facility is, seeing that this facility is going to close and there's nothing you can do, can do about it. And, you know, and what people go through as you know, Rich and I've worked together with a church that, that was closing, but it's not the only church that has closed. And it's not the only, you know, certainly as Swedenborgians, we've seen a lot of individual churches close. We've all seen our church change over the years. And there's some sense of, you know, how much longer is this going to keep, you know, are we going to stay open? And it just, it, it, it makes it difficult. And, you know, We've seen that in mainstream Christianity, mainstream churches around us, just, yeah, those, those changes and those, those losses that, that we experience.
Do you have any particular personal ways that you deal with grief or you, uh, you, any, any tools from uh, our tradition that you suggest to us or anything? Any... I, mean, I deal with it like everybody else. I cry, I get sick, I eat too much, I drink wine and then I feel even worse. And then I watch movies and, you know, I can't do anything and I'm depressed and I'm, you know, irritable over nothing. And yeah, um, I get brain fog and, um, we go through this, the, I've now twice, well, I'm, we sort of go through it every year now, but twice the fires have gotten close enough that I've had to be evacuated. And actually the, in 2017, it was the facility was closing and then it burned down. And so we had to evacuate all the residents and that was another, that was a grief in itself, you know? So when I go through this every fall, I know somebody whose house burned down. <laughs> And I see, you know, landscape around me that sort of is is no more. And so, yeah, I know it's it it's hard, and it sticks with you, and you you can't really describe it when it's kind of the ambiguity of our local um, Sugarloaf State Park. Ninety nine percent of it has burned. So I think like sixty percent of it burned the first in the first fire, and another sixty percent of it burned in the sec second fire. And so half of it has burned twice and almost all of it has burned. So even the places that I go in, in nature to rejuvenate myself and reconnect with that eternity of, you know, it's like, it's all burned down. <laughs> so I, I get a little freaked out in the fall when the fires come. Yeah. I don't, if I had to, you know, tools on five things to do to deal with grief, you know, I, I certainly would have written the book and, given it to everybody. Um, we did at, at the developmental center, we had a gratitude campaign. Gra gratitude, I think, is a powerful spiritual tool. And we had a gratitude ca campaign so that the, you know, managers would have these events every week where they would, you know, give thank you letters to employees who had done wonderful things and give out prizes and people, you know, there were just a lot of activities about what, what are you, they put up a big sign that you saw driving down the street. What are you thankful for today? And, and that was powerful. And I see that um, Joy has asked, what tools can we access as Swedenborgians that might be novel? I mean, we certainly have a, have a unique understanding of what happens after death and a comforting understanding of what happens after death. Um, so I, I'm glad that I'm not, you know, pe people used to ask me in hospice, don't Christians have an easier time dying because they know they're going to heaven? And it was, that was not actually the case. The people who had the hardest time dying were two groups of people. One, people who had no sense of anything outside of themselves. So people who's like their whole world was just themselves, what they had, what they owned, what they could do. And that was it. And there was nothing bigger than what they had, what they owned and what they could do. And so death was just impossible. It was just impossible. This can't be happening to me. They had a hard time dying. The other group that had a hard time dying were, were people whose theologies were very much tied up in um, judgment. You know, you are going to hell if you have ever sinned. And well, you know, you can get to the end of life and think about, you know, a lot of things that 
you've done and you've sinned and it's like you're so you know some of the little old catholic ladies would just hang on for dear life because because of that fear so certainly having a swedenborgian understanding of of the the permanence of our spiritual lives the importance of our spiritual lives even as we're living in the material world to to create that eternal life for ourselves and those eternal connections and this eternal journey of of opening our hearts to more compassion certainly that um I think that helps that helps with some, but you know, you lose something and it's sad. Yeah. Well, we're gonna continue this discussion in our discussion time. And if you have questions, throw them into the chat. We'll 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 deal with them all in the discussion time. But what I'm really struck by um, with your comments, Kathy, are that grief is part of being human and losing is part of being human. And that's a very spiritual principle. And that um, we don't we should avoid the temptation to escape it. Um, we should try to you know, live into it as best we can and just be okay with ourselves when we're in it. And when we're trying to help other people, avoid the tendency to be a talker, problem solver, intellectual about the whole thing and just be a presence. And I think those, those are really counter to a lot of our self-help yeah. American Christian um, teachings and i think these are really helpful ways because we're approaching this even what you were talking about kathy is about there's no ritual for someone going through anticipatory grief but right now for so many people there's no ritual at all we have funerals we can't have anymore uh you can't sing anymore um you can't be in church anymore i mean all the rituals so we're we're trying to get through that too and uh, so many people said to me my god i i i always dreamed of you know giving the eulogy at my dad's funeral I couldn't do it. There was no funeral. And so that those rituals are important. And that's so I think just being patient with one another and, and going through this. So I want to thank you, Kathy, for for being open to being interviewed during this time and um, sharing your insights from on the ground experience, which is really great. And we're going to continue the discussion with Kathy for anyone who can stay after the service. So thank you. Thank you for ha having me. And, you know, I, I wish I had the three things that you can do to not feel pain, but uh, I don't have them. And um, I think that being there, thanks for being there for each other. I think we can all look back on times, on times that we've lost some, somebody and th think about what helped and what didn't help. And I think most of us would say what helped was somebody who was just there for me. Somebody who just showed up. Yeah. yeah. Great wisdom. Well, thank you for that. Uh, we are going to now shift into our uh, the rest of our service. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Spiritual Resilience Podcast with Reverend Rich Taffel. We invite you to reach out to us with your questions and comments, as well as proposed topics for discussion. Sending you love and light. Till next episode.